Welcome to the Bayshore Podcast. As listeners each week, whether through iTunes or through the church app, you're part of our church family. We would love for you to share stories of how Bayshore is impacting your life by sending us an email at amen at bayshorecc.org. As always, you can find all kinds of information and content on our website, bayshorecc.org. There's also our church app, which you could download by going to bayshorecc.org slash app. So thanks again for joining us this week, and we hope that today's message is a blessing to you. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, Yesterday, we had an amazing day here. Yesterday, we had our Biker Saturday. We generally do that on Sunday, and we had about 70 bikers here. How many were part of the Bikers Day yesterday? We had some uh, really incredible time together. We may have some pictures. I'm not sure if we have any pictures or not, but a uh, really cool day uh, hanging out with the bikers and uh, really encouraged them. So it was really a great day. We had a really wonderful time. So um, that was really a cool thing. Well, we had about 500 viewers last week watch us on Facebook Live. And we had from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Pat Charnsky, and uh, she was listening to us, and thank you, Pat, for listening all the way from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and also Linda Smith from Mahoboth, Delaware. And so we're just grateful for our online community. We want to welcome today uh, those that are listening through podcasts as well as those that are listening to Facebook Live. So let's just welcome our Facebook Live community right now. Thank you for watching and being a part of today's service. Well, um, my son Joel has been doing a series on economy. We've been talking about the, uh, con- uh, our personal uh, finances for the last three weeks. So today we go back to our Bible study where we've been looking at the book of Acts, and we're calling this the great adventure because the uh, second part of the book of Acts is about uh, Paul planting churches, going to these unknown territories and telling people about Jesus and establishing churches. So we get to a really interesting story today in Acts chapter 18 verses 1 through 19, and this is the uh, church of Corinth. And actually, what happens today is, you know, I said that originally, you know, Paul was on, like, uh, take Jesus to the pagan city tour, like a rock concert, and he ends up at the, uh, this is the last stop at the concert tour, and he ends up in this city called Corinth. And a very interesting city. I've been to Corinth. It's in southern Greece. And... um, We'll tell you a little bit about that. In fact, there's a picture I think I have of Corinth here to give you a little background about what it looks like. So we have a picture, I believe. So uh, this is what's called the Acropolis, this big hill up here. So you can see the remains of uh, a temple here. This is the temple to Apollo, uh, and it's a beautiful area. I climbed up on top of this hill, about a 2,000-foot hill, climbed up on the top, and you can look over the whole area of southern Greece. It's absolutely beautiful there. And uh, what's really interesting about this hill, this is where there was a temple when Paul went there, a big temple on the top of this hill there. And it was the temple of, uh, to Aphrodite, the goddess of love. So, um, so when Paul went to this city, let's think about this city he went to. This city uh, was the capital of Achaia. Achaia was sort of the state. And uh, so he'd been in Macedonia, which is another state, and he comes to Achaia, southern Greece, and this is the capital. How many people lived in this city when Paul went there? More than people that live in Gumboro. Uh, it was about, uh, scholars say, between 200,000 and 500,000 people there. A lot of people there. And this was a city that was, had been destroyed by the Romans in 146 BC, and then it was rebuilt by Julius Caesar. And uh, lots of people went there. And what's interesting about this city, it's on a little isthmus uh, and there's water all around it. It's just a beautiful city, an incredible, beautiful city. But what's interesting about this city 
is this city was very much like, uh, uh, would be like Las Vegas, uh, maybe combination with Las Vegas and San Francisco. Uh, it was a wild, wild city, wild city. Lots of uh, strip joints, uh, lots of gambling, lots of bars. In fact, to say in ancient Greece when they would show a, uh, they would have a play, the, the Greeks were great about producing plays, whenever they would have a play in ancient Greek, uh, Greece and they would uh, feature a Corinthian, somebody from Corinth in the play, the person that was featured in the play that was from Corinth was always a drunk because people here, this was a party town, party town. Now why it was so promiscuous and wild, you know, like I said, strip joints, uh, prostitution, uh, gambling uh, places, casinos. This was a wild city. On top of this hill, this is called the Acropolis. Everybody say the Acropolis. The Acropolis, that's called the Acropolis, the high part of the city. And there was a temple, as I mentioned, to Aphrodite. And Aphrodite was the goddess of love, or the fertility goddess. So what happened was that every evening... Uh, this, this temple that you can't see there now, I walked up around where the temple was, this, uh, this temple had a thousand prostitutes. They were called Vestal Virgins, and they were anything but virgins, but they were called Vestal Virgins. And so they would come out of the temple of Aphrodite in the, in the evening, come down into the city, and they would ply their trades. So you got all of these... Uh, uh, people that are uh, impacted by this promiscuity of this temple. So not only were there female prostitutes, there were male prostitutes as well. So you've got this crazy thing happen. Now why did they do that? Well, two reasons they did that, two reasons they had a thousand prostitutes that came off of the hill into the city every night was, number one, it was believed that when there was... Uh, sexual activity between a priestess of the temple and another person, that that pleased the fertility God and it would help it to rain so that there would be uh, fruitful crops. The other reason was that's how they made their money. That's how they supported the temple. You know, tithing, they didn't do tithing, they just did uh, Temple prostitutes, so that's what they did. So that's what's going on. Uh, we're not going to do that here, by the way, but anyhow, that's something that uh, was going on. So this is the city he goes into, big city, 200 to 500,000 people, filled with uh, promiscuity, filled with sexual immorality, uh, filled with drunkenness, filled with absolutely corruptness. This is the worst city, uh, the most evil, wicked, immoral city in all of the Roman Empire. And this is where Paul went. How many know that the gospel of Jesus the gospel of Jesus goes to the places that are the darkest because when the gospel of Jesus, the good news about Jesus, goes to the darkest places, that's where it shines the brightest. And so that's where Paul took the message. And this makes some sense when you read about 1 Corinthians, by the way. Uh, you know, we have the church of Corinth being established by Paul, and he went to uh, Corinth to establish his church. So it gives us a little insight into what, some of the things he wrote to Corinth. Uh, let me... Uh, let me, let me just read a couple of things to you that he said to the people of Corinth there, if I can find it. Uh, he wrote to them about, you know, their profile, the kind of people they were. And uh, here it is. I know I've got it here somewhere. Okay, listen to this. Here's, here's what he said to them. You know, now, now, notice, remember I said that all of these prostitutes came off of the Acropolis there every evening? 
Uh, does, does this make some sense to you when Paul writes this to the first Corinthians? Uh, see, the Greeks believe to have uh, sexual relationships with a, uh, with a person, you know, not your spouse, was fair game, was fair game. That was very, very understood in the ancient world. You know, we think, oh man, they were really traditional. We've become way off track. The ancient world was very immoral. So, uh, you know, the, the Romans believed that uh, you had your wife to produce children and you had mistresses for pleasure. That's the mindset of the world that Paul lived in. And so, and you got all these prostitutes coming down off the hill, and here's what Paul writes to them. So think about, he writes to them because these people have become Christians, and they're living in this immoral environment. How many know that our culture is a little bit immoral? How many know that? How many, how many know that movies are getting worse than they've ever been, and you know, you see more and more stuff? How many know that the culture has gotten kind of off track, and it's affected all of us? And here's what Paul writes to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13. Food for the stomach, uh, uh, food for the stomach and stomach for the food, but God will destroy them both. So why did he say that? He said that because the Greeks believed that just the way you, ha- you were thirsty and you wanted a- needed a drink, uh, you know, to satisfy your thirst, sexual desires were no different. You had sexual desires like getting a drink. It's just, it, it, was, it, was, it was neutral morally in their minds. So um, he writes to them, food for the stomach, uh, but God will destroy both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. But his power, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Then he says in verse 15, now think about, uh, you can put that picture back up, Corinth. uh, And then we'll come back to the scripture. Put the picture back there. there. So the prostitutes come off the hill. And then what does Paul write them? He says to them in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 15, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them to a prostitute? Never do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body, for it is said the two shall become one flesh. Now, now does it make sense why Paul said that? He said that in 1 Corinthians because this is the world that they lived in. And here's what... Here's what's interesting about this, and this is not at all the main point of today's message, but I'm just like uh, diving into this a second because it makes incredible sense when you think about the world that Paul went to uh, when he's talking to them about not uniting your body with a, uh, with a prostitute because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body, my body, it matters what we do with our bodies. It matters what we do with our, with our bodies. If we belong to Christ and Christ is the Lord of our life, then what we do with our bodies matter, Paul says. And said, if you unite your body to a prostitute, which the Corinthians, why did he write that? Because that's what they were doing. They had become Christians, and they didn't know any better. So he writes to them and said, you need to behave yourself and live purely. So let me just say this to you. It matters in our culture. It matters what we do sexually. When we have put our faith in Jesus and become a follower of Jesus... It matters that we are sexually pure before the Lord and that we live in a holy and pure way in our culture that's completely immoral as well. And how many know that's not easy? How many, let me just like, do not raise your hand to this, but how many since you've become a follower of Jesus, you've had some sexual temptation sometime in your life or you know somebody that has, can you say a big amen? That's a nervous amen right there. That is a seriously nervous amen. I told you guys about when Karen and I were in Pensacola, Florida. I was out with a bunch of guys playing tennis. 
one morning, and we are at the, uh, we're coming back from playing tennis, and Pensacola is a beach community, and so we pulled to this intersection, and there was like, uh, you know, five guys, or four guys in the station wagon. Remember station wagons? Those are antique minivans. Uh, remember station wagons? So we were in a station wagon, and there was a girl in a really skimpy bikini walking right across the street in, uh, in front of us. We we're at the front of the red light there, and she's walking a dog. And I mean, she was like, the Lord had blessed her. She was a beautiful lady, and she was in a bikini. And we're all Bible college students. We're like looking at the ground. We're like nervous. Everybody's nervous. And it was just tense in the car. So finally I said, that's some dog, isn't it? That is some dog. <laughs> But the thing is, we're trying to live for Jesus as Christians. We're trying to live for Jesus. And this summer, I'm not e- this is not even my message, but here's what I'm on today. So it's working, so here we go. You know, this summer, you guys, that you, you know, girls don't wear as much clothes in the summertime. And you got all that going on, and, you know, that's there. And, you know, one guy told me he prays for, this is, he prays for red lights in Dewey Beach. So anyhow, he's like, he's, <laughs> I appreciate that brother's honesty, you know. But, uh. Here's what I do, you know, as a beautiful gal walks by and she forgot to get dressed, you know, before she came out on the beach. I just like, I just like say, I just like, you know, I say, Lord, I don't know who she is, but I pray for her. I ask you to bless her. And I ask you, if she doesn't know you, that she'll find you, that she'll become a Christian. And, and uh, you know, I just pray for her. And the reason I do that is because I put her in a different frame. I don't think about her as a body for me to lust at. I think about her as, uh, as someone that needs to know Jesus and needs to know the Lord. So think about that. That works. It works for me when that happens. And I've been on the beach sometime, and I've been in prayer all day. So anyhow, you get on the beach. <laughs> so anyhow, there you go. But it's interesting to me that Paul is challenging these new Christians that live in this environment that it matters what you do with your body. It matters what you do with your body. If you are a follower of Jesus and you become a Christian and you're sleeping with your boyfriend, I'm just telling you, if Paul was writing to you, he would say, listen, you got your body belongs to the Lord and you haven't made that lifelong covenant yet with, with that partner and you're living out of bounds. Everybody I know completely has gone off rail on that. But when Paul wrote to a pagan culture that had become Christians, he challenged them to re-establish purity in their life and live in a, in a pure way. So you think about that. And then it says, in, uh, he gives a little profile of the kind of people that were in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11. through 11. He says, do, not, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor adulterers, nor, uh, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And verse 11, and that is what some of you were. Now when I read that in 1 Corinthians 6, it's a profile of the citizens of Corinth. That's the kind of people they were. And the Lord saved them then called them into uh, a relationship with the Lord. So, anyhow, we, let's go to Acts 18. Let's read a little bit of the story. And then we'll uh, just, uh, gosh, that's the introduction. And we just gotta, we're just going to hit a few things this morning. Uh, Acts uh, 18, 
verses 1 through 19. After this, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila and a native of Pontus. He had recently come from Italy, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, uh, because Claudius, who was the emperor, had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own hands. I am clear of my responsibility. For now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and the entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Christian Corinthians, and listen to this, and many of the Corinthians, these, these wild party people, and many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. And uh, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, Do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed a year and a half teaching them the word of God. When Galileo, the proconsul of Achaia, the Jews, had made a united attack on Paul and brought him into the court, this man they charged is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Galileo said to the Jews, if a Jew were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names of your own law, settle the matter yourself. I will not be a judge of such things. So he had them ejected from the court. They all turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue ruler, and beat him in front of the court. But Galileo, Galileo showed no concern whatsoever. Paul stayed in Corinth for some time. Then he left uh, the brothers and sailed for Assyria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Centuria because of the vow he had taken. So a couple things on this real quickly. Uh, a really cool thing happened. He goes, Paul goes to the synagogues. So he goes to the synagogue in Corinth and where the Jewish and God-fearers, the people that had some belief in God that were Gentiles. So what happens is the synagogue ruler becomes a Christian. His name is Crispus. So the synagogue ruler becomes a Christian. So they lose the synagogue ruler. He's a Christ follower now. So the second synagogue leader is a guy named Sosthenes. Sosthenes, he becomes a Christian. So the synagogue is falling apart because all these people in the synagogue are becoming Christians and the people, that, the leaders of the synagogue are mad at Paul and they chase him out. So he starts a church right next to the synagogue and synagogue leader number one has become a Christian, synagogue leader number two has become a Christian. And the power of God is moving through Paul. It says in 1 Corinthians, he said, I came to you not with superior wisdom or with great intellect, I didn't come to you with philosophical knowledge, but I came to you with the power of the Holy Spirit. So he's preaching, and the synagogue leaders are getting saved, and all these people are getting saved, and they're being baptized. And these immoral people that have been sleeping with prostitutes probably the night before have become Christians and are following Jesus, and they're being baptized by the Apostle Paul, and things are really happening. So what I want to just conclude uh, with this morning, just uh, in this little teaching here this morning, is let's think about Paul, two things about Paul when he comes to Corinth. Number one, where did he come from? He came from Athens. And we studied Athens a few weeks ago. When he went to Athens, 
the people made fun of him. And Athens is the only, it's the only city he went to that he never planted a church. There wasn't a church established in Athens. There's no letter in the New Testament to the church of Athens. He completely, seemingly failed in Athens. Everything, nothing happened. Usually he went to a city, planted a church, established leaders, but that didn't happen in Athens. And they made fun of him. He said, they said to him this, they said, what does this babbler want to say to us? That's what they said to him. They, they, were, they were complete disrespectful of Paul. And the word babbler there is a seed picker. It's a little bird that picks up seeds. And they say, this guy just picked up some strange ideas. So he comes to Corinth. Remember, he preaches in the power of God. The synagogue leaders are getting saved. The, the, the wicked, immoral people of Corinth are getting saved. But he's coming to Corinth out of a sense of humility. He has failed. He's been broken. He is, he is not, uh, he, he's come from a place of great defeat out of Athens. And he comes there with his tail between his legs. And as he gets there, because he's humble, because he's dependent on the Lord... God works through him greatly. Let me just say this to you. There's a principle here. The principle is, is when we're succeeding, success is so wonderful. How many want to succeed? Raise your hand. Success is something we all want. Success is a wonderful thing. We all want success. I want success in my life. You want success in your life. But there's a danger with success. Success after success after success after success will, success will make you. That was the other part of the sermon. Success will make you self-confident and make you think that it's all about you and that you're doing all this stuff. So Paul comes out of a place of real failure and he comes to Corinth and what's marked by his ministry in Corinth is the power of God moving through Paul because he's a broken man. God moves through broken people. Now let me just say this to you. If you are a business person and you're succeeding, we want to see Bayshore filled with people that are successful and your businesses are being blessed and God's using you and working through your life. But make sure that when you're walking in great success that you don't succumb to the danger of thinking, hey, look what I'm doing. Look what I'm doing. And Paul, he had had success after success after success. And then he goes to Athens. And when he gets to Athens, he completely fails and then he comes into Corinth with great humility. And I can tell you, in my life, in my little short ministry here at Gumboro and all that, I can tell you from my perspective what the Lord is teaching me and helping me to understand. I have had times of great success and I've had times of great failure. And I'm here to tell you that the failures that we go through are God-given sometimes because they get our eyes back on the Lord and they begin to help us to see that God is the one who does these things. It's not a man. It's not a person. It's not a personality. It's not like slick this or slick that. It's about the power of God working in a community to change that community by the grace of God. Can you say a big amen? Amen. So I was, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about one of my, the people I admire the most is Ben Carson. Here's a picture of Ben Carson. How many know who Ben Carson is? Great, famous uh, surgeon, uh, was, Johns Hop, was in Johns Hopkins, and he's world-renowned, ran for president, uh, went to Yale, incredibly brilliant guy. How many know who Ben Carson is? You know who Ben Carson is? What an amazing guy. He didn't, you know, his mom couldn't read. His mom, you know, made him and his brother, you know, be good students and all that. 
But Ben Carson, I've read stories about, he's one of the best trained uh, neurosurgeons in the world. But I have several stories where Ben Carson has been in surgery and something would go wrong. One time there was a, f- a four-year-old girl that all of a sudden uh, she went into cardiac arrest in the middle of surgery. And Ben Carson says, his testimony is, is that while he was going through that, he immediately went into prayer and asked God for wisdom and what to do with that little girl. And he talked about how the Lord gave him wisdom, how he saved that little girl. Another time, he was operating on a, a person in a deep brain surgery, and there was, uh, there was blood that started, uh, they started hemorrhaging, and they were about to lose the patient. And Ben Carson is in the uh, operating room of Johns Hopkins University, and he's praying for God to give him wisdom, and the Lord shows him right where to put uh, the, the, the pressure on the brain to stop the bleeding and saves the person. You know what I, you know what I love? I love people that are well-trained and they're brilliant, but in their heart of hearts, they're humble and they're dependent on the Lord. The Bible says this in Proverbs. He says, the horse is made ready for battle. Say it with me. The horse is made ready. The horse is made ready for battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. What does that say? That says this. It says that. We get our horse ready for battle. We do our studying. We do our praying. We do our research for our business. We knock on the doors for our company. We do everything we're supposed to do. We get the horse ready for battle. But victory belongs with the Lord. I do my studying and I do my praying. I studied my brains out this week on this. I studied and I studied and I prayed. But I'll tell you what, at the end of the day, it's not about study. It's not about degrees. It's not about education. It's about the Holy Spirit working through us to impact people in our community. So I, I got this little kite for my grandkids a while back. And uh, it's, it's not a great kite because I'm cheap. But anyhow... I got this kite for the grandkids, and we take it to the beach sometimes, and it's a little tangled up here, so it's a cheap kite, but anyhow. So I get this, and I think about this kite, I think about this kite, and I I think about what's the most important part of this kite for it to fly? Is it the fabric here? You know, it's pretty good fabric, or is it the design, the frame in the back, or is it this really, really long, uh, tangled tail? What's the most important thing? This... This or this, the most important thing is the wind. Our training and our work and our business, that's the kite. We do our part. But what really causes victory to happen is the wind of the Holy Spirit. Say this with me. It's not by might. It's not by power but it's by the Holy Spirit. So that's how we operate in life. You're raising your kids. You've read all the books, and you're smart. You're a good parent. You've seen other parents that aren't so good, so you think you know all about parenting and all that. And, and you know, you're a great parent. you got two kids, and they're wonderful, and then they become teenagers. So, <laughs> you know what Mark Twain said about teenagers? You know, when you got a kid that turns 14, you put them in a barrel, and you feed them through a hole. And when they turn 16, you plug the hole up. That's what you do. So you know all about it. You're doing so good. 
But then you get to a point where all your smarts and all your wisdom and you think you're such a good parent, you have to get on your knees and you have to pray, God, give me wisdom and God, help me to help this child not to self-destruct. And so we have to depend on the Lord, have to trust in the Lord. Say this with me, the horse is made ready for battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. So final point here this morning is... Paul comes, I think, in a, in a spirit of weakness, in a spirit of humility. If you read the introduction to Corinth, he said, I came to you in fear and trembling. I came to you in humility. I came to you not with wise and persuasive words, but I came to you with the power of the Spirit. So he comes into Corinth that way. So he's down and he's humble, but he also, something really amazing happens in Corinth. He meets a couple. He meets a couple called Aquila and Priscilla, and their name appears throughout the rest of Paul's life. He never met them before. So in Corinth, he meets this wonderful couple, Aquila and Priscilla, and they, their names occur together always. They're always together, and they occur seven times in the New Testament. And the last letter that Paul wrote was 2 Timothy, and in 2 Timothy, he said, please say hello to Aquila and Priscilla. They became his friends. And whenever you go through a point of failure, you need, you need people to love you, you need people to stand beside you. And the Bible says that they, they became uh, friends through work, and they were uh, tent makers. Aquila and Priscilla were tent makers, and Paul was a tent maker, and so they started working together. And while they worked together, when Paul first went to Corinth, he, uh, he worked all week long, making tents, and on the weekend, he would minister. And when it says when uh, Timothy and Silas arrived, he gave himself full time to ministry. So what's interesting about that is that they came from Macedonia. In Macedonia, there's a place called Philippi where Paul had planted a church. And we know from the book of Philippians that the Philippians sent money to help Paul. And so when, uh, when uh, Silas and Timothy arrived, they have money from uh, Philippi. And now Paul can be supported as he gives himself full-time to ministry. But they, he meets this uh, Aquila and Priscilla, and they just become good friends. And they just talk at work. And I was thinking this week, this is kind of crazy, but I was thinking this week about Bubba and Forrest Gump. Remember that? And uh, here's a picture of Bubba and Forrest Gump, you know, scrubbing the floor, talking to each other. And Bubba's talking about all the ways you can make shrimp. Do you love that scene? Isn't that a great scene? And uh, I think they just, they're just, we're friends. And I think that Paul and Aquila and Priscilla... They were just friends. They just talked together, and they loved on each other, encouraged each other, and everybody needs that. And the last thing I thought about uh, Aquila and Priscilla is the power, the power of couples serving Jesus together. Now, God uses single people that aren't married. We have in the book of Romans, Phoebe, a woman, a single woman who delivered the most important letter in the New Testament to uh, Rome, the book of Romans. But here you see, uh, so you, God uses singles, but he also uses couples together. There's a couple in the front row. Here's Rhett and Denise Parsons. They, they, he's got his arm around her, and we all, we don't know how Rhett got such a beautiful wife. We have, we, nobody knows how that happened. Nobody, that's a mystery. Would you guys stand up? This is a couple that serves God, served God in our church for 25 years as a couple, side by side, the serving great. You turn around, give them a big hand there. Isn't that Okay, Aquila and Priscilla, this is Aquila and Priscilla, couples serving God together. A couple weeks ago, I was, I'm preaching in the second service, and I'm preaching, and I looked in the back, and there's a couple, new couple to our church, uh, 
very successful business guy and his wife sitting over on the side. They had their orange t-shirts on, Bayshore Kids. They had served together in Children's Church, and then they were sitting here in the second service. Yesterday, Biker's Day, I got done preaching up here and doing my thing, and I go in the foyer, and we have food, and then I saw one of the most wonderful Aquila and Priscilla couples in our church. Beautiful Aquila and Priscilla couple in our church, Rick, Ricky and Susan LeCates. Here's Ricky and Susan LeCates. Look at that. That's Aquila and Priscilla, couples serving the Lord together. They got married, I don't know how many, give them a hand, isn't it wonderful? I did their wedding, I don't know, five years ago, six years ago, uh, I can't remember. It was the smallest wedding I've ever done, and uh, they had finished premarital counseling with uh, David Bullard, who was on staff at that time. His office was over in the corner in the old building here. They finished their last session of, uh, of premarital counseling, and David called me on the phone, said they're ready. I walked down the office, married him, and they went on their honeymoon. That's how they got married. <laughs> Not fooling around with this. We got premarital counseling. Now we're getting married. So that's a wonderful couple. Uh, Lucy and Sam are over in the uh, children's department. This is Lucy and Sam. This is an Aquila and Priscilla couple. I served a few weeks ago, uh, a couple months ago actually, over in the children's department. And Lucy, uh, uh, Sam and Lucy are, are served over there almost every week, and you've seen them, and they serve the Lord together. Young couple that are serving Jesus together in our church. And don't you love to see young couples, young uh, couples that love Jesus, that are holding hands and are hugging on each other, serving Jesus together. Isn't that a good thing? Amen. Then one other couple, Bob and Brenda uh, Oberfell. I was going through the, uh, going through the uh, pantry the other day, coming, uh, sneaking into my office, and there was Bob and Brenda working in the pantry, and they live in Plantation Lakes, and they serve the Lord faithfully. They'll be here in the second service sitting right over there. Aquila and Priscilla. Aquila and Priscilla. How many want our church to be filled, listen to this, want our church to be filled with couples that are happily married, that are holding hands, that aren't perfect, that are faithful to each other, but serving the Lord together. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Last thing I'd say about this, I got two minutes to go. They give me a little countdown, and I have certain minutes to preach, and it's at 2.15 now. I got 2.14, 2.13, and as soon as, it, as soon as it gets out of time, there's a big sign that says, get off the stage. So I've got to... <laughs> so here's, here's what I, what I, what's interesting about the story is Aquila and Priscilla, um, one time, uh, the first time we meet them, it's Aquila and Priscilla. Aquila's name, the man, is mentioned first. Every time after that, it's Priscilla and Aquila. So we think that that probably means she was a pretty outspoken, dominant person. She was like, you know, Priscilla, you, you heard her before you saw her. You know, she was pretty strong. And uh, so we got this strong woman, this strong man serving the Lord together. But Paul came to Corinth, and God used him, and he came in humility. And your success and my success is not simply based on our skill and our ability and our smarts. But our success is based on us submitting ourselves in humility to the Holy Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit
to work through us. Would you lift your hands to the Lord this morning and ask the Lord to work in your life? He's using you. He's got plans for you. He's not done with you. Uh, maybe you went through a point of failure. Maybe you've been to your Athens. Maybe you're in your Athens right now. You're at a point of failure. But that's not the end of the story. That is not the end of the story. In fact, your failure, your failure is positioning you for the Spirit of God to make you successful. So, Lord, I pray over our congregation as we go into a brand new week. We go into this week humble. We go into this week not arrogant, not confident in ourselves. But we go into this week uh, doing our part, laying our lives before you, being diligent, but praying for the wind of the Spirit to fill our sail so that we can make a difference. We pray your blessing on this church. We pray that it be filled with many, many couples who love you and serve you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen and amen.